0: You're listening to KVMR, FM, Nevada City, KCPC Camino. It's 6 p.m. Wednesday, December 22nd, and it's time for the KVMR Evening News. I'm Claudio Mendoza. Computers and the internet are now a major part of life for most Americans. A lot of private information that was once stored on paper is now stored on networked computers. And while this is certainly convenient, it also comes with some risks. Tonight, the California Report explores the world of cybercrime and encourages parents to be proactive when it comes to protecting their children's data. After regional news and weather, Felton Pruitt talks with Natalie Adona, Assistant Clerk Recorder, Registrar of Voters for Nevada County, about the effort to recall the entire Nevada County Board of Supervisors.
1: This is the California Report. I'm Alex Hall in Fresno. If you're a student or staffer on a University of California campus, you're going to need to get a booster shot. The UC system announced the new booster requirement this week, citing the fast-spreading Omicron variant. As KCRW's Tara Atrian reports, it's one of many new COVID changes that could be coming to the UC system. Eligible students and staff must get a booster shot before coming back to campus after the holidays. In a letter to the Chancellor's UC President Michael Drake says the evidence is clear that a booster shot is essential for protection against Omicron and other variants. He also asked them to come up with plans for a safe return to campus, including a possible change to remote learning at least for the start of the term. Each university will be tasked with coming up with their own protocols given the differences in local conditions and campus operations. UC Irvine, Riverside, Santa Cruz, and San Diego have already joined a growing list of schools nationwide that are staying remote for the first two weeks of winter quarter. They say the extra time allows for testing in isolation after the holiday season. For the California Report, I'm Tara Atrion in Los Angeles. And both UCLA and UC Santa Barbara have also announced plans to start the first two weeks of instruction remotely. UC Davis will have at least one week of remote learning as well. California will help up to 40,000 homeowners catch up on their mortgage payments. Governor Gavin Newsom says the state will use about a billion dollars in federal money to help people who have fallen behind on their mortgage payments during the pandemic. The program will pay past due housing payments in full, up to a maximum of $80,000 per household. That money would go directly to banks or mortgage servicers. Only people who own and occupy one property and make at or below 100 percent of their area median income will be eligible. The state also has a program to pay Californians past due rent. So far, the state has paid $1.6 billion to more than 137,000 households.
0: Support for the California report comes from Hint, fruit-infused water in over 25 flavors like watermelon, pineapple and blackberry. No sweeteners, no calories, in stores or delivered from drinkhint.com. Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Futures, focused on finding exceptional people and helping them do more for others together, on the web at schmidtfutures.com. And the James Irvine Foundation, committed to a California where all low-income workers have the power to advance economically. Learn more at Irvine.org.
1: Not to trigger your paranoia again, but did you know there's a good chance your child's personal info is on the dark web? That's because hackers target schools, along with everything else. KQED's Rachel Myro from our Silicon Valley desk wants to add one more thing to your list of New Year's resolutions for 2022.
2: Retired dentist Anu Minocha of Saratoga has three children, a 19-year-old at UCLA and a pair of 17-year-olds in high school. Twins, yes. Minocha says she wasn't raised in a financially savvy or transparent way, so it's been important to her and her husband to raise their children to be comfortable discussing money. Where are they going to learn that from if you don't, you know, show it to them? The family meets weekly to go over everything. So they know our income, they know how much uh, electricity, water, everything costs, the mortgage, the insurance, and the vacations, which they so enjoy. They know how much they cost. The 19-year-old has a Discover card. The twins have bank accounts. Minocha is aware that ransomware attacks have spiked in the last year, but she says she's not alarmed. What do you do? I mean, that's the world we live in, right? So you can't hide under a blanket. I think you just have to teach kids how to manage that world. For Minucha, that means being on the alert to respond quickly to hacks. But experts say you should also act proactively and freeze your child's credit. Eva Velasquez heads the Identity Theft Resource Center in El Cajon, east of San Diego. That nonprofit supports victims of identity crime.
3: We don't wrap our brains around that this is actually a thing, especially parents. Really, that's one more thing I have to worry about. But it is the world we live in right now.
2: Even if they don't have their own financial accounts, even if they're not on Instagram. There's a misconception
3: among parents that a
2: lot of this is
3: behavior driven. My child doesn't engage online. They don't have social media accounts or they don't have a bank account. And I'm sorry to burst your bubble here, but that is really giving you a false sense of security. Your children do have identity credentials. We are creating data about our children. You are claiming them on your taxes. They have a social security number.
2: And home addresses, possibly passport numbers, driver's license numbers. What are hackers doing with all this data?
3: Well, let's, let's run through them. So there's financial identity theft. The list is too
2: long to detail here, account, but examples uh, include credit opening credit, like credit cards, card, taking card out card car loans, payday loans, purchasing medical equipment, applying for government benefits. And a child's data can be used in any one of those types or all. A number of parents I talked to expressed exasperation that each of the big three credit reporting agencies, Experian, Expedia, and TransUnion, has a different application process, a different way to prove you are the legal guardian you say you are. Experts say, yes, it's annoying, but deal.
3: There have been more ransomware-related cyber attacks this year, 2021, year to date, than there were in all of 2020 and 2019 combined. Got that?
2: Last thought, you might also want to freeze the credit of vulnerable older family members. For The California Report, I'm Rachel Myro,
1: And Rachel outlines the steps to freeze your child's credit online. Head to kqed.org to read more. And finally, South Lake Tahoe is often known for its majestic views of nature and year-round outdoor activities from boating and hiking in the summer to skiing and snowboarding in the winter. But it's received another distinction this year as most popular city in the U.S. for people browsing real estate. That's according to Zillow, the online real estate marketplace. According to the website, Homes for Sale in South Lake Tahoe got nearly 50 hundred views per listing. The Los Angeles suburb of Calabasas, home to many A-list celebrities, and Malibu, finished second and third on the list, respectively. Big Bear Lake in Southern California, another well-known destination for people who love the outdoors, topped Zillow's list for most popular vacation town. And that's the California Report for Wednesday, December 22nd. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Alex Hall. Thanks for listening.
0: The Nevada County Public Health Department announced today that it plans to distribute nearly 6,000 COVID-19 rapid tests to Nevada County residents of low income. Says Public Health Officer Dr. Scott Kellerman, an at-home antigen test is a great tool for preventing the spread of COVID-19. It's a do-it-yourself test. Results take 15 minutes. If you have a party in the evening, you can take your test that afternoon and know that you won't infect your friends and family members. With a 47% increase in case rates here in California since Thanksgiving, health officials are bracing for a winter surge in COVID-19 infections. On Monday, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention identified Omicron as the dominant variant here in the United States. The Public Health Department will distribute the test kits in partnership with the Food Bank of Nevada County, the Interfaith Food Ministry, and via the department's Safety Net Clinic in Truckee. Staying with Nevada County news, last week the California Public Utilities Commission approved over $8 million between two Nevada County broadband projects for Race Telecommunications Incorporated and Nevada County Fiber, connecting 527 additional Nevada County homes to high speed internet, also known as broadband. Broadband became a standalone board objective in 2021, seeing the benefits broadband will bring to support economic development, distance learning, telework, telemedicine, and general quality of life in Nevada County. Quote, from working with providers to advocating at the state and federal level, this is a priority. Rural connectivity is a complex issue that can't be addressed with one simple strategy, agreement, or grant we're not done advocating for our residents and are working on ambitious goals for 2022, end quote. That from Supervisor Heidi Hall. And, a quick note, the Grass Valley Planning Commission voted 4-1 yesterday to recommend the proposed Grass Valley RV Park Resort and Annexation Project to the Grass Valley City Council. Turning now to regional weather, In Grass Valley and Nevada City, tonight, rain and thunderstorms likely before midnight, then showers and possibly a thunderstorm between midnight and 1 a.m., then rain with a high near 45. Tomorrow, rain and possibly more thunderstorms with a high near 48 degrees. In Truckee and Lake Tahoe, tonight, snow likely before 10 p.m., then rain and snow, plus patchy fog after 1 a.m snow level rising to 6,500 feet after midnight. Tonight's low, 31 degrees. Tomorrow, widespread, dense, freezing fog before noon, with more rain and snow becoming all snow after 1 p.m. Snow levels should be around 6,300 feet with a high near 37 degrees. Tomorrow, new snow accumulation of up to 7 inches is possible. A winter weather advisory has been issued for the greater Lake Tahoe area, including the city of Truckee, beginning early this morning through tomorrow morning. Travel could become very difficult to impossible, especially for areas above 7,000 feet. By Friday, travel is expected to be difficult at all elevations, with periodic road closures possible during the heaviest snowfall rates. Motorists are advised to avoid travel if possible due to the potential of becoming stuck in a vehicle for many hours. If travel is unavoidable, motorists are encouraged to prepare for long delays and to carry an emergency kit with extra food, water, and clothing. Moving now to Sacramento and the surrounding region, the weather tonight will be wet with thunderstorms possible after 1 a.m. Tonight's low will hover around 50 degrees, and tomorrow showers likely and possibly a thunderstorm before 9 a.m. Then it'll be a chance of rain after 10. Tomorrow's high in Sacramento will be 56 degrees. According to the Union of Grass Valley, a group of Nevada County residents gathered Monday to deliver a petition for the recall of all five Nevada County supervisors. Next, Felton Pruitt speaks with Assistant Clerk Recorder, Registrar of Voters for Nevada County, Natalie Adona, to learn more about the process.
4: We're talking with Natalie Adona. She is the Assistant Clerk Recorder, Registrar of Voters, Nevada County. You have a long title there, Natalie.
5: Oh, it is a beefy title.
4: Yes. So we're talking uh, with you because there is a group of citizens in Nevada County that have a petition to recall the entire board of supervisors, the entire Nevada County board of supervisors, which uh, is, I guess this is a precedent. It's never happened before, or has it?
5: Not that I know of. Um, Certainly not in Nevada County. The last time I think um, any group of people wanted to initiate a recall in Nevada County. I think it was back in 2014. So uh, a recall uh, locally is not something that we see a whole bunch in my office, and certainly we have never had a request to recall all supervisors. So yeah, this is a pretty unique situation.
4: So, in California, the process is what initiative referendum recall is is it a three part process, or how does it work?
5: Uh, well, recall is its you know sort of its own thing, but you know so out here in in the western part of the United States, there are uh, several states that offer the ability of citizens to either propose new laws or uh in this case of a recall. Um, remove an elected officer from their current position. So that's what the recall is all about. Uh, if you or your listeners want to learn more about it, the places to start you know, first at the California Constitution, uh, which sort of defines the, um, defines the process of recall. And then, you know, in the elections code specifically, Division 11. There are a lot of rules that will sort of make your head spin. so if you're sort of into that sort of thing or, you know, if you have insomnia and you want to crack open the elections (laughs) code, uh, I would start with Division 11. So uh, basically, the the steps for recall sort of start with something called a notice of intention. And uh, that's sort of what is making the news right now. But that's sort of what you do... First, once you have that notice of intention, you could get proponents. you make sure that the person that you want to recall has notice <laughs> and that they have the opportunity to answer, then you can circulate a petition, you have to gather enough signatures in order to bring that recall to ballot, and you know once the de- the determination is made that you have enough signatures. Then an election is called, and then um, it it gets onto a ballot. So that that is the the umbrella of things that happen during a recall. There are a lot of little details in between, and I know that we don't have a heck of a lot of time. So I'm going to try to sort of um, sort of offer the big rocks, allow people to to sort of do their own research. So the recall of a state officer is a little bit different than the recall of a local official like a board of supervisors. You know, some of that process sort of played out earlier this year with the uh, recall election of Gavin Newsom, a uh, little bit different in terms of, you know, some of the details. The main process pretty much remains the same. So uh, I'm going to talk a little bit uh, about the the notice of intention. Go right ahead. Uh, The notice of intention really is the the opportunity for proponents to sort of publicly declare that they wish to recall an elected official. So that notice of intention has to have the the name of the person and their title uh, of the person who they want to recall. They need a statement of no more than 200 words saying why they want to recall this person. And they need to get a certain number of proponents and those proponents have to be sort of eligible to, to vote for this office. Right. And and then they have to have some some other, you know, sort of more technical requirements on the sheet of paper. So basically what happened this week is these proponents got the a, a number of signatures for every single supervisorial district. In this case, they needed 20 per supervisorial district to sort of sign on as as proponents on this notice of intention. And so they gathered those signatures and brought these notices of intention over to us with proof that they had served the, the applicable Board of Supervisor, right? So for District 1, for example, you have to have proponents that live in District 1. And then you have to provide proof that, you know, you have this notice of intention. It was signed by all these people and, you know, they provided a copy to the supervisor for District 1 and then brought all of that over to our office. So, you know, picture that and multiply it by each supervisorial district. So So that's what we got yesterday.
4: So they don't do this as one big giant file then it's it's six or seven different you know five or six different files then they're filing against this supervisor this supervisor this supervisor not just all supervisors or is it possible for them to uh file it for all supervisors
5: It's particular to the officer who's the subject of a recall So um you can't just say well I we recall all of the board of supervisors without their names and uh, you know, without the sort of relevant proponents, because the election law is you know sort of centered around candidates and uh, elected officials in in the case of a recall. So it is very much centered on the individual, so yes, you're right. Um, five supervisorial districts, five different notices of intention, five different proofs of service.
4: So let me ask you this. So let's say this goes through, then there's a special election to see if we recall them. Is that correct?
5: It's going to depend. The election law uh, prescribes the dates that uh, all elections happen. But the case of a recall, it's a little bit different. The timing matters. So there's there's a whole bunch of process in between the notice of intention and uh, things actually going to ballot. But, you know, from the time that we sort of declare that there are enough signatures to have a recall on the ballot, then we are obligated to hold an election no less than 88 days after that declaration and no later than 125 days after that declaration, And so if there is a regularly scheduled election that falls in between that period of time, then we can consolidate with that existing election. But if there is no pre-existing election falling within that time, then we would have to do a standalone. So um, there's a lot of unknowns right now as to when the the timing of, of certain processes. So I don't know at this point whether we could consolidate with any election. Or or whether we would have to have a standalone election.
4: Let me ask you a question. Let's say this process goes forward. Hypothetically, let's say it got to the point where they were going to replace all five supervisors before an actual election four supervisors came up again. What would happen then? Who would fill those vacancies until the actual next election?
5: Well, it would be a process that's very similar to what you experienced with the gubernatorial recall. So with any recall election, there are two questions. And the first question is, would you like to recall this officer? And the second question is, if this officer is recalled, who would you like to replace them? So, I mean, if we're calling an election, then we would have to you know open up the field to have replacement candidates. you know we'd have to build a ballot that i mean if if all five of them you know are sort of successfully put onto a recall ballot, then we would have to have five separate questions would you like to recall so and so would you like to recall so and so and if they're recalled, you know who would you like to replace them so um, so yeah, yeah, it would be very similar to you know what what happened in September.
4: All right I'm gonna I know that we've got a lot to cover in the next few months so we'll leave that for the next few months. One last question here, who's going to pay for all of this if we do have a recall?
5: Well if there is a recall election then the county would be obligated to hold uh, an election so the cost would come to the county.
4: Thank you for all this information it's very important to all of us voters out here. We've been talking with Natalie Adona. She's the Assistant Clerk, Recorder, Registrar of Voters, Nevada County, and uh, we'll be talking with you, I'm sure, more in the new year, Natalie.
5: I'm sure you will be. Thanks so much.
0: That's our newscast for this evening, December twenty second, 2021. KVMR gets support from listeners like you and from Habitat for Humanity Restore. Selling repurposed home improvement and building materials, doors, furniture, appliances, and hard-to-find unusual treasures. Accepting donations, pickup services available. Open Tuesday through Saturday at 9 a.m. on Loma Rica Drive, Grass Valley. nchabitat.org And Wild Birds Unlimited, locally owned birding, nature, and gift store since 1999 offering all things birds, bird feeding supplies, nesting boxes, bird baths, also nature-inspired holiday gifts and stocking stuffers. Wild Birds Unlimited on Neal Street, Grass Valley. Don't touch that dial. There's lots more coming your way. Up next, it's the sages among us. Tonight, host Keith Porter talks with author and marketing professional Cindy Zulesdorf. Thanks very much for listening and for supporting Independent Community Radio. I'm Claudio Mendoza. Have a good evening.